Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey everyone, welcome into the show. This is still hanging out in Revelation and we're still looking at the messages of chapters two and three. We've been bringing on some scholars and we have many more scholars lined up uh, who are going to comment. But today is going to be a really interesting show because as we've talked about some of the issues and we'll continue talking about some of the issues that uh, many of the churches have, we're kind of taking a sidebar where we're not going to be in the text, but we're actually going to be discussing um, some real life things that pop up in the church today and how it affects uh, a certain population of our uh, of our church family. So Rob, uh, this is going to be a different kind of intro. <laughs> uh, so tell us, uh, how do we want to start this one off today? We have two leading women pastors, leaders in the, in the church. They have over 40 years of ministry experience. They've written books. They've traveled the country and spoken across the country. They've done uh, missions work, all kinds of things there. We're not going to use their real names. We're going to keep them anonymous. We're going to muffle their voices a little bit so that you may not recognize who they who they are. Um, just that gives them the opportunity to speak a little bit more freely. And we're going to post this uh, live in our Revelation series, but we're going to actually, after about a month or so, we're going to backdate it, put this back in our First Corinthians series, as you might recall. But uh, let me just remind us a little bit of the context and the conversation there. Uh, I want to get to, the, to these ladies quickly, but let me just kind of give you my own context. And, and, and Vinny and I have discussed this before. We have a little bit of difference of opinion, I think, theologically on how this plays out. And that's totally fine there. So, But I grew up in a conservative Baptist church. Uh, I didn't know at the time that the Southern Baptist Convention and the church that I attended did not did allow women to serve in pastoral ministry. But uh, I didn't know that because our church didn't. I was taught at the time that women could serve as children's pastors or women's pastors. But even then, I remember debating as a youth whether they could be called pastors or not and how that actually worked. Things for me, I'm just going to fast forward, start a change in my doctoral program. Now, mind you, my doctoral program was at Westminster Theological Seminary, which did not allow women to even enter the MDiv program because they did not affirm women as pastors. So they couldn't be in the MDiv program. But my very first course in my doctoral course, there was a female student in the course. And that's how I found out that women weren't allowed in the seminary was like, oh, she's unique. She's the only one in, in this course, but she's allowed in the PhD course. And I realized that this woman was brighter than all the men in the room. It was obvious that she was that. And as I began doing my doctoral work and my dissertation work there as well, I began involved in the, the world of apocalyptic literature, as you know. There's two notable female scholars that I grappled with, Adela Yarbrough Collins and Elizabeth Stusser Fiorenza. And I began realizing that, finding it odd, that I could take their work and synthesize it in the notes and whatever else, and even go home and write a sermon on it and preach a sermon, but they couldn't do it. I was taking their work, but I could, and I could preach it and they couldn't. Well, fast forward a number of years forward, I began reading a book by William Webb called Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals. And William Webb is a good friend of mine now. Um, he compares the Old Testament and the New Testament world on the topics of women, slaves, and homosexuals to the ancient Near Eastern world, that's the Old Testament context, and the Greco-Roman world, that's the New Testament context, on these topics of slave, women, and homosexuals. And what he notes is, is that when especially it comes to the issues of slavery and women, the Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament both actually go countercultural. So even though it looks like the Bible's backwards when it comes to slavery and women of these things, it was actually progressive for the ancient Near Eastern world. And when you get to the New Testament, Paul goes even farther with the progressiveness in a lot of the, the Greco-Roman culture. So we look at Paul today and go, okay, Paul was backwards when it comes to slavery or the issue of women, but Paul was very progressive when it comes to the issue of women and, and those things there. And I've written some articles on this and I've got a book coming up begin looking at the book of Acts and Pentecost. And of course, Peter cites the Joel 2 and says, you know, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all mankind and your young men and young women will dream dreams. You know, and then you go a little bit further in the book of Acts and women, Philip's four daughters are, are prophetesses. And you know, uh, Priscilla was, was counseling and teaching and training uh, Apollos to be this great evangelist and all that good stuff. And women have prominent roles uh, throughout the New Testament. There's no question in my mind that Jesus had women disciples. In Mark 15, 41, he says, these women followed him. And the word followed is a key word in the Gospel of Mark for a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so he had women disciples. Phoebe in Romans 16, as we had uh, Scott McKnight on for our Romans uh, series. And he talked about how she was not only a deaconess, but she was probably the letter carrier to the church in Rome with the book of Romans, which meant she would have read the book of Romans. So, you know, I, I was just listening to a podcast about how women can't, in some churches, the SBC just made kicked a couple churches out of the SBC a couple weeks ago, and five months ago they kicked out. Um, what's his trip? Saddleback. Saddleback and Lake mm -hmm. Forest there. 
for women pastors. And some of the debate was whether women could even read scripture. And I'm thinking, like, the first reader of the book of Romans was a woman. And not only did she read the book of Romans, but she would have been the one to answer their questions about it. She would have been teaching them. This is what Paul meant. You know, for me, growing up in a Baptist world, growing up in a conservative world, I'm like, okay, what do the scripture says? It's still, you know, I can hear all these things and know all these things, but there's still First Timothy chapter two. I got to deal with that. So I went back and began studying the text and things of that nature. And, and in a nutshell, my synthesis was Adam and Eve were created as equals. There's no question about that. Eve is obviously called uh, an edzer, as we discussed with uh, Carolyn Custis James, which means a, a term that's applied to God more often than it is than anything else uh, in the Old Testament. So she's not, not an inferior. She's an equal to Adam in all ways, shapes, or form. And then you look at the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. And clearly in the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, there's not going to be neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile. We're all going to be equals there. So the question then becomes, that's why it was in Eden. That's why it will be in the New Jerusalem. At what point does that change? Now, for many, of course, well, it just changes when the New Jerusalem comes. But if the new creation's already begun, and that, that's the whole, if the Holy Spirit's already come, if the new creation's already begun, and Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus, then maybe we are supposed to implement the New Jerusalem now. We're supposed to already implement these things and the idea of equality. And that's why I think you see women taking on even more prominent roles in the New Testament and doing things that men would do and things of that nature there as well. And Vinny and I discussed in the book of Revelation that you have this woman who's a prophetess named Jezebel. And John doesn't say, don't listen to her because women can't be prophetesses. He says, don't listen to her because of what she's teaching, what she's saying there. So anyways, well, well, without any, any further ado, let me go ahead and exhort the listeners to, to simply listen to this conversation, because I think it's important that we recognize not only what these voices are saying, but where they're coming from. We hear their stories for their stories. Don't try to figure out who these women are. We're going to mask their voices a little bit. We change their names. The reality is, I think sometimes and oftentimes the church is not a safe place. And I think the reality is they've endured a lot of pain. And I think we want to hear that their, their stories. So Liz, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself without giving away, obviously, your identity and maybe your ministry context or some of your experience or whatever it is, and kind of some of the, maybe where you land in this in this particular uh, battle, if I can say it that way. Well, thanks, Rob and Vinny. Thanks for having us. Um, and thanks for just making space for this conversation. I, um, I grew up in the church, but I would say I was the most rebellious person in the church, so didn't really stick to any teachings. And ended up going into work in the corporate world. And so I was working in finance, um, investment banking, and was working my way up the corporate ladder. There was no ceiling there. Uh, I actually had many managing directors there uh, who were women. And I started getting a pull back to God when I was working in corporate world and kept asking what his dream for me was. I was going to a church, a mega church at the time. And there was women preachers and I was very curious. I was like, oh, I've never heard a woman preach, but I didn't really realize how heated the topic was. I didn't realize, um, I didn't really want to be a Christian. So I didn't care to mm. think about scripture um, mm. at that point. And so I kept going to church, kept asking God what he wanted for me. I felt that pull back to him. Um, I wanted a new life. And so I was asking, okay, God, what is your dream for me? And is your love real? And when I had that encounter with God, I felt him say, like, now go tell your story, learn more about me. And I felt this deep um, healing throughout my whole body, just mm -hmm. kind of a waterfall of grace kind of cleansed. And I felt in that moment, like everything of my past, my whole life, I knew I was going to be in ministry. And I, you know, um, didn't know what that meant. And the only thing I saw was this one woman preacher. I was like, yeah, I'll probably do that. I feel a little called to preaching. So I told my family I was going to Bible college and they said, what the F are you doing? Um, <laughs> we just spent a lot of money on your um, expensive degree and you work in a, you know, basically the place you can make the most money. And I was like, yep, I'm going to do this. And they're like, well, what do you think you're going to be? And I was like, I don't know, a pastor. And they're like, women can't be pastors. So I first heard all of the, the combat on this topic from my mm. parents. Um, wow. So that was super interesting. I grew up in a, in a world in a time where I 
and I still do. I believe I can do anything. I feel like God's created me to do anything and there shouldn't be limits on based on, uh, your gender. Mm. Um, and that's kind of how I always felt. And so I've always been one of the people that pushed against the gender stereotypes and I, don't think they're always helpful. Um, I know some people love them and I think they are limiting to who we are as unique divine image bearers and who God specifically created us to be. So that's a little bit of my story of how I was introduced to this topic. And ever since then, I've been learning about it more and more. I've been, um, you know, focusing on the scriptures, what is the practical theological argument, what is the missiological argument in this as well, mm-hmm. and how is this being spoken about throughout the whole Bible, not just a couple of verses, and how and what is heart what, what is God's heart on it? So my first reaction to anyone saying you can't do this is, well, who do you think you are if God's telling me this? Yeah. Um and that might be a brash response um in my younger years, but it, it's still something of me of saying, if God's called me to this, then I have to be faithful to God. And uh, it's not something I've craved or wanted ever, but here I am working at a semi-mega church where women are not allowed to be pastors. And I didn't want to work there specifically for that. And I told God that, and I fought God on that (laughs) because I didn't want to feel limited in who God's called me to be. But I have grown to love the church. I've healed through the church. I have advocated for women in the church as leaders and pastors. I believe we're making change, but I also believe that we can't change the narrative if we're not willing to be in uncomfortable situations and being able to have those um, civil discourses and those um, places where we want to advocate for change. And I I do believe God's heart is for justice and equality. And um, unfortunately, the church is the main place that we I, I feel the most limited and I know many other women feel that. And that is sad to me. That is, yeah. that is deeply sad to me because I do not believe that's God's heart for his people, especially as women. Hey, Liz, I'm, I'm curious when that first resistance happened from your family, did your family have a church background or, and so is it something where it was a theological conviction your parents had, or was it more of maybe just a cultural thing? Cause I think culturally we tend to see in, whether it's in movies or whatever, you, you tend to see male pastors and not female pastors. I'm curious where that might've come from. Yeah, I would say my family is very uh, steeped in scripture and theological. <laughs> we attend the same church now. So mm. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Interesting. All right, very good. Uh, Kim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your ministry background? Sure. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, sure. Um, well, so um, unlike Liz, um, I uh, did not grow up in the church or in a Christian home. And I actually accepted Christ uh, right before college uh, mm-hmm. in the height of what we now are knowing as the Jesus Revolution. <laughs> so that was uh, my background. That's where I got saved. That's where I got baptized right on Pirate's Cove and just threw myself in, you know, all the way. Um, but something happened to me the very night that I did get saved and walked down the aisle. So I had no background at all, and I walked down the aisle. I really wanted Jesus. I came from a very dysfunctional background, and I knew that there had to be something more. The night that I accepted Christ and knelt, knelt down at the altar, actually at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California, mm-hmm. I was just praying whatever that meant at that time because I'd never prayed before. And what happened to me in that moment is that um, – I began speaking in tongues and I knew nothing about tongues. I knew, I mean, I had no background whatsoever and it freaked me out because that was in the seventies, the day of the exorcist movie. My parents (laughs) had already warned me not to go to this crazy hippie church. And so now I have this motorboat coming out of my mouth and I'm thinking that I'm probably demon possessed Mm. uh, based on, you know, the topics of the culture at the time. But what happened is some of the prayer counselors saw this happening to me. They took me aside. They took me in a back room. They opened scripture and they showed me what had happened. Well, as I drove home that night in my little 61 Volkswagen, I felt this strong calling of God on my life. Uh, Prior to that, I was raised my entire life on the stage. I took uh, my father worked for somebody that was very famous. So I had a lot of connections uh, in Mm. the music industry. 
anyway, uh, when this happened that night that I got saved, I knew that I was not going to go into secular entertainment and that I was going to serve Jesus with all of me. Uh, and I, you know, it was so confusing because as a young girl, how do you put into context that God has put a calling on your life? But it was so strong mm -hmm. that I just knew that I was going to minister the gospel in some way, even though I didn't even know what the gospel was, but it was just this strong calling from, from that very first night. Um, so then fast forward, and I soon learned that there was very limited what a girl and a young mm. woman could do within the Christian church and context. And it usually meant that I could teach children, which at that time I knew nothing about children, and that wasn't my heart at all. Mm. I could sing music in the church, um, but I certainly couldn't learn to uh, take scripture and learn more about that so that that could become part of the ministry that God called me to do. So anyway, I ended up marrying a pastor. So in that uh, position, I uh, began serving women and children. Mm. But the thing about it is, is that um, you can pour your whole heart in women and children. And the whole time that you're doing that, you have zero respect, I realized, mm. from any of the males in the church, mm. like women's ministry, even though at the time, you know, what we started out is a very uh, small women's ministry and ended up being a very large community uh, women's ministry. It, it was like it was thought of as if it was nothing like it was mm. it was just it, it was disposable. It was nothing. Uh, none of the male leaders could care less about it, mm. even though their wives and their women and the people in the church were growing and mm. it was fruitful. It was very discounted. So fast forward, unfortunately I ended up going through a ministry divorce when my pastor husband left. And so then I went and I worked in uh, just regular uh, secular market in sales and marketing uh, for several years. And then I had that call back to ministry again. And that call back to ministry now was like something more passionate because I was older and it mm. was, and I'd been through some hard knocks in life and it was deeper. It's like, I desperately wanted to share with women about the love of God. But even though I personally never really wanted to speak in front of men, that wasn't my thing. I felt very called to um, raise up women within the local church. I then ended up going on, being on staff at another church that started out as a small church and ended up as what you would call a mega church. But uh, what I noticed is that everything was good for me as a woman called to ministry when everything remained small. Mm -hmm. When I remained small, when the ministry remained sizable where you could grasp it and grasp your arms around it. Mm -hmm. But when it became too fruitful, and when the women started growing too much, and when it became too large, then suddenly it was this huge threat to the local mm -hmm. church instead of a blessing to the local church. Okay. And that began um, actually the continuation of me realizing that as a woman within the church, my hands were tied and I was really limited, even though I didn't want to speak to men necessarily. I wanted to stay ministering to women but my hands were still tied in even mm -hmm. doing that because men around me were threatened. Mm -hmm. Hey everyone, we want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge. And this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access. But we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the Give tab or follow the link in the show notes. We'll kind of come back to that, I think, a little bit more, I think, as we, as we go further, too. Thank you so much for sharing already. So, uh, Liz, uh, you're currently in a local church situation. Can you... Tell us a little bit about that role and, and your experience there the last number of years and maybe some of the frustrations I think that you were kind of alluding to already. Yeah, I. So there's a few things. Our our church has historically been hard 
complementarian. I think we're, we've shifted towards more soft complementarianism mm-hmm. and a lot of people are advocating for egalitarianism. Uh, and again, egalitarianism is the idea that women can eat, are, are equals with men and can have roles in the church, including pastoral roles. Complementarian are that women are equal with men, but they cannot be pastors and leaders and things of that nature there. And the word, the, the language I think is a misnomer, but that's okay. I don't, uh, not everybody does. I know Vinny doesn't think it's a misnomer necessarily. So I would agree. I'll, I'll, I'll respect that. <laughs> I, would I, I think there's a lot of nuance. I, yeah, I would just say, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of nuance in this conversation. I, I'm at a point where I don't think either term is helpful. So I just say, yeah, I think okay. there's, a, I think there's another track that I think I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> Very good. Fair enough. I'm with you there as well, Vinny. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think we are all created equal. We all are Absolutely. also have unique gifts and callings and that's how we become one body. And I would love to see that mm-hmm. um, instead of gender being the thing that qualifies someone, it's their gifting, it's their calling, it's their mm-hmm you know, spiritual authority. So that's probably where I would stand. But historically, our church has, yeah, been hard complementarian. And the focus of that I'm saying is male leadership. And so mm-hmm. um, it didn't, it's not about your qualifications. It's not about your education. It is, it has been purely, um, not, I wouldn't say purely, but it's obviously gifting and gender. And we've had many women on staff who are have their uh, masters of divinity or have had their masters in their specific role and are still called directors. So all the women are called directors and the men are called pastors, even Mm -hmm. though we hold the same space and we are pastoring as a verb, we are shepherding and caring for all the people entrusted to our care. We are not given equal title. Um, We have not been given equal um, access to the IRS, like housing allowance for Mm -hmm. uh, ministers. Uh, We, are not given same compensation. And then obviously last and not least is opportunities. So whether that's to preach, whether that's just your name being thought of because you can't be in a leadership meeting, um, you're not Mm -hmm. the first person anyone can think of or want um, because you're somewhat sidelined because of your gender. Even if you are gifted, I would say it's all... can be very implicit as well. So I just wrote a paper on it and finishing my master's talking about the sexism in church leadership. And so uh, the main three negative implications of that were the explicit like double standards. That's what it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. explicit double standards. So the men um, don't need degrees, don't need uh, formal education, don't need um, certain certifications, but they can be called pastors. But the women who have higher degrees, higher certifications, higher even potential giftings in certain things would not get be given that. So there's that explicit double standard. Then there's the implicit wow. language. So I've had one one woman I interviewed. She said, even if she asked for, okay, what are the steps to become a pastor? They're very elusive. They don't answer. And I I think it's because they really. If I'm believing the best, I think it's because they're really wrestling with how do I how do I do this and also stay true to our um, bylaws and what we are as mm-hmm. a somewhat denomination, um, but also honoring people. I do think um, I want to believe the best in our leaders. So I do think there's this wrestling and how do you right. bring everyone alongside us in the church who have differing views and how do you honor everyone's view in a sense, but And then the last and not least is this, I would say, is the psychological negative effects it has on women. I know every woman in leadership at our church has questioned their calling, has questioned their gifting, has questioned their value, has questioned their worth. We're the ones who are constantly not um, chosen first or given opportunities or Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like, you could argue microaggressions. You don't get the same pay. I was listening to your guys, one of your other podcasts talking about, we do value people through money. And if you're doing the same job, um, it's not that I maybe need it as much as a man who's fully provider. And supposedly I'm expected to have a man who's going to provide for me. Like that is still the Mm -hmm. underlying current of our paradigm, which Mm -hmm. is detrimental in general. But even if I am doing the same job, I am not getting paid the same because I don't have children or because I'm my husband's expected to care for me. Mm-hmm. So there's those implicit things that continue to make you m- more aware of the ceiling and more aware of your um, inferiority. And, you know, most women wouldn't use the word oppressed as the strong term it can be, but in a way you are made to feel inferior constantly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, 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 have, I, have a, I have a question regarding this, yeah. it, just in terms of the culture of your church specifically, because yeah. what I found as someone who is, is involved, you know, as, as a member and a staff member of a complementarian church and use the words hard and soft complementarian, I definitely think there's a spectrum there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And what I've even found amongst people in my community, uh, probably more so with congregants than staff members, but mm-hmm. you could definitely see like a misogyny that comes around with their complementarianism mm-hmm. where it's, it, there is this view, like you no know, women are inferior. They are weaker. They are, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, you know, a bigotry towards mm-hmm. women in terms of how they view that. Uh, we, we've recently begun having women read scripture on stage every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started that last year and there's many people, many men who just have a major issue with that. And, wow. and my conversations has been, it's like, bro, your, your conviction is coming from misogyny. It's not coming from mm-hmm. a conviction in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, and so that's why they would be complimentary. They, they wouldn't admit mm-hmm. to being a misogynist, but you know, who does, yeah, of course but, so. but I, but I also have other friends who, and well-educated friends and people who I respect who their conviction comes from the text. And they're like, no, like, I'm just trying to be faithful to the text and men and women who, who would have that conviction. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing that I have found most helpful, and this is getting into my question with you is there's some people who you're just not allowed to have the conversation with at in, at all. You're not allowed to struggle. People who bring up the conversation, it's what are you trying to do? What are you trying to gain from this? Who are you trying to usurp? And it's like, okay, that's not safe. But then I have friends who have a strong conviction in this area, but they're okay with people wrestling with it and talking it through. And they're not challenged. They're not feeling threatened by it. So I'm just curious, and you're in this a long way of setting it up you know, being representative of that side, what is happening in your context where are the conversations allowed to be have? Is there a gentleness or is there automatically a dismissal? Like, man, what is this person trying to do and, and how could we, you know, try to open the door to get them out? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And thanks for setting it up. Well, I think, um, as you guys know, most things are how you go into the conversation is how they're going to be responded to. I would say, Initially, when I started, the conversation was not started um, when I started Mm -hmm. on staff over five years ago. The conversation hadn't been started um, and people were really frustrated. I would say now we're at a place where we can have those conversations. There's a lot of staff on board. It's just how we do it and what's the time frame. I mean, that's at least that's my hope, right? Mm -hmm. We'll never know. There's some people that can go in very hard and you're going to get a you're going to get a response that isn't as favorable. I do think there's just wisdom in how you approach it. And I do think there's a tone that helps. I think that's the tricky thing is, is just like any industry or any place, women have to be exceptional in their communication, not be triggered, not um, use strong language, not threaten people mm-hmm. to even be heard. Uh, there's been many, many instances where I will say something and a man will say the exact same thing two seconds mm-hmm. later and they're heard and I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I can't pretend to know what that is. I know I've had many people have that same experience. I'm definitely not the only woman, but um, that those are all those little implicit things that mm-hmm. we don't talk about as issues in terms of bringing up sensitive topics. I think, yeah, language matters a lot in how we, how we bring it up. So all that to say, I think we're more in the place of there's not outright misogyny. I think there are people who want to stay faithful to the text. I would say, let's be faithful to the whole text. And that Mm -hmm. would be my response. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say, yes, I can see how there's a couple instances where it says this, but let's look at the all of scripture. Let's look, let's look at God's heart. Let's look at the ones that actually counter that. Let's look at how Paul's subversive. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how Jesus used all things and God wants to use all things and all people for his kingdom glory. So that's, and so that's where I say, when we're faithful to the text, let's be faithful to the whole text, to God's story, to God's heart. And in a real way for me, focusing on justice and bringing freedom to all people is, I believe is God's heart. And so therefore it's my heart right. too. Yeah, to right. affirm your point about all the prep work, the mental prep work that the the, the woman has to go into even just engage yeah, the conversation. Yeah. So just to, first off, I want to say Rob is able, he gets so many amazing scholars on the show. Like I, I'm so blessed to be able to talk with so many amazing people, people I've read for years. But the last time we had a female scholar on when we had Dr. Dana Harris on, uh, Rob, I don't even remember this, but we got off the Zoom call with Dana. And I just, I, it just made me realize, it made me think back to also our conversation we had with 
Dr. Uh, Mary and May, Mary May Thompson. Yeah. yeah. And, and just thinking these, especially with Dr. Harris, these women are so unbelievable mm-hmm. because to get to the level they are at, I'm not going to say they're better than yeah, yeah. somebody. It's just, they have to be so talented and so specific in how they yeah. present themselves and in their scholarship. Uh, we don't realize how, just how good they actually are just to get in the room that they're in. Uh, and, and I don't think we just take that seriously enough in society where when women are getting in their places, they're very exceptional <laughs> in, in, in many cases. And just the, the work they have to do to address the conversation is way more than I have to think about it as a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just to, to comment really briefly, those on, you know, we can't allow First Timothy 2 to trump the rest of the scriptures, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you have the entire gospel stories where the women always get it right. They're the first eyewitnesses of the tomb. Hey, go and tell the disciples. They're the first ones to preach about the resurrection. And the men never get it right. You have women being prominent throughout the entire scriptures. And then First Timothy 2 just trumps all of that. It's like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, you know, mm-hmm. maybe First Timothy 2 is something we need to deal with. And I, and I respect the fact that people grapple with First Timothy 2 because it does seem to say what they think it says. Let's give Kim an opportunity now to come back a little bit. Kim, you alluded a little earlier. I'm not sure if you have any more that you want to talk about on your story, but it sounds like your story has like two two parts to it, right? Your your first part of your story with uh, being a pastor's wife and struggles there. Is there things in that particular part of the story that that you want to elucidate on a little bit more? Or yeah, sure. Um, because being a woman, so in that part of my story, um, I could see things that were not right, mm. but I was not heard. This actually goes in both parts of my story, but okay. when a woman can see things that aren't right and that need to be corrected or need to be addressed, like she can actually discern things, but men don't want to think that she needs to be heard and mm. that she has discernment. So we get dismissed. We get dismissed, dismissed, dismissed. And so I really felt like in my years as a pastor's wife, as far as like the men, not the women that I was leading, but um, there was just a lot of dismissal. You know, like women were just the little side dish of the church, you know, like they weren't, they they were not um, to be heard or supported. They were just to meet in some side hall and have their little fun and games, but they were never thought of as being people that had a calling on their life the same way that the men did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll tell you something funny. Years later, uh, when I had my first son going away to Bible college, I applied. Uh, they had a minister's uh, scholarship. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, mm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not yep. scholarship, but it's a call, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. tuition yeah. discount or something. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, at that time, I was a director of women's ministries, but I was at a church where they were willing to call me pastor to women. But I was the one who was bucking up against that because there was just so much threat to calling yourself that, mm. that, it, you know, I was a people pleaser. So it was very hard for me to think of myself as a pastor to woman. But anyway, so I went and applied for that. So the man that had the exact same position I had, the guy that was leading the men, his son was going to the same Bible college mm. the same year. He got the discount. It was a big discount. And I was literally denied because I was female and it was completely discounted and i'm not going to say the name of the school it's a very popular school but it was shocking to me like i mean that was i i had always kind of felt dismissed as a woman in ministry but when that happened it was just unbelievable because i was working the same amount of hours i was doing the exact same thing but serving women instead of the men i did not have the same pay scale and i did not have the same respect not only in the local church, but also in the church at large. And I think that that was really shocking to me. You know, I got to stop for a second because you ladies need to be applauded to such a degree. I don't think most men, and I'm going to say this without question, most men that I know in ministry could not handle the stuff that you guys have handled. I mean, we are far more sensitive what they didn't they didn't think they didn't listen to what i had to say i wonder if they even like me i'm you know and yet this is like your daily life this is like your your whole like you face this every single day we get offended if it happens to us once every six months like i I raised my hand in the meeting and they didn't seem to even acknowledge me um and i said something out like this and they didn't they didn't think they they went with what you know what johnny had to say and not what but this is this is like your story 
And yet, you know, we'd be crying, you know, and, and, and raising whatever, you know, if this happened to us. So, so I, I just, uh, I, I'm grieved. Um, I'm, uh, I'm amazed at you and, and what you guys have done and uh, your courage and strength to stay, to stay with it and, um, and, and to not give up. Thank, thank you. That's all I can, that's all I can say. Yeah. But wow. So I, I know I don't have, I don't have it in me. So we hope you're enjoying the podcast and we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth, the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab. Kim, you then moved on uh, to a larger church then. And I think you were intimating a little earlier that part of the problem was that you were successful in ministry, the lowest blessing that your work, and that caused you more trouble. It caused me tremendous trouble. Yeah. I'm, I'm still getting over that trouble. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I don't want people to, 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 to listen past that. I, I want you to hear that. All right. I know it's, this is years later mm. and you're still struggling with the trauma. And I can use the word trauma, I think, right? That yes. you experienced during that time. Yeah. In describing um, some of what I went through to a private counselor, um, I was basically told it is just absolutely emotional abuse. And I know it's not just my story. I know right. it happens to a lot of people in ministry, male as well as female, but I think yeah. more likely to women. Right. Because um, I think that male leaders want to put women in their place. Maybe their hearts aren't that, but if they start to get threatened, it's it's, it's a very ugly thing. And it's 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 abusive. Um, there's no other way to there's just no other way to explain. You know, um, in my story, I actually had um, something called a transient global amnesia attack. Yeah. The reason I'm telling you that is it happened um, two years after leaving the last church that I was um, on staff at. Literally, I pretty much was pushed out of my position. Because it was going too well, which sounds ridiculous. Right. If a man's position was going well, they would be given a raise and they would be encouraged. But when a woman's position is going too well, um, I basically, it was, you know, I was being pushed out. Um, anyway, the trauma and the hurt and the pain and the struggle that came as a result of that, I, I attended a wedding that I had to go to that had a lot of the old staff members at it two years later. The next day, I remember walking into a Starbucks and ordering my drink. And that's the last thing I remember until I woke up in a hospital, mm -hmm. um, not knowing who I am, not knowing anything. My brain literally shut down from years of trauma in the mm -hmm. ministry as a woman. And I don't feel sorry for myself. I'm doing fine. I don't feel sorry for myself. But you know what? These this kind of trauma is tearing apart women, and it's it's not right. It is so against the heart of the Father. If we're going to talk about you know male and female both being loved by God, both being called by God, both being gifted by God, well then abuse to the female is definitely against the heart of God. Yeah. Abuse to anyone, but to anyone. But right, I mean, right. it's but a lot easier. So, yeah, it's a lot easier to uh, uh, to do it towards a woman because I mean, I I've seen it. I've seen I've seen myself like laughed about, you know, when they don't mm. think I'm seeing it, and and all I am doing is sincerely trying to serve Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and you know, you're talking about this thing how it's it's uh, harder for women. Um, Liz was talking about that. So at this stage of my life, I'm an, an a literary agent in Christian publishing, and I can tell you right now that uh, for a woman to get published these days, a young mm -hmm. woman to get published, she had better be going and getting all of her degrees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has to have all of them. She's not just going to get to write like some sweet book because because of our culture and where it's at, where a man can get published just because he is preaching on Sundays and he can put that in a book. But a mm -hmm. woman has to have like all the degrees, even though she might be raising a family and doing all the other things. She better be back to school and getting everything behind her name so that she can write a book in Christian publishing. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing to me because I've worked at a church where 
it was basically not only not required to have degrees to be on the staff, it was almost looked down upon. In fact, yeah. they almost didn't hire me because I had a PhD. And I was I'm not only am I overqualified for the position, but like, you know what? We don't actually like the fact that you have a PhD. And Liz commented earlier that the men didn't have to have degrees and things and things of that nature. And the irony is the argument of the first Timothy two passage, which is the passage, right? I mean, that, that's, women cannot preach or have authority over men, is basically that because she was deceived, because Eve was the one who was deceived. And the idea was women didn't have access to education back then. And therefore, they were less likely to be educated and more likely to be deceived or prone to deception. Once you get, and this is what William Webb argues, once you get to the point where access to education is available, like it is in, in much of the world, especially in the Western part of the world today, then that provision that Paul gives in First Timothy 2 no longer really even really applies. And yet the irony is men can have these roles without having degrees. Mm-hmm. Like, wait a minute. The whole idea of being a pastor is that you must be guard the truth, as, as Second Timothy says, guard the good deposit, right? You know, hold on to the truth. But if we can talk a little bit more, and Vinny, feel free if you want to chime in here now, about the psychological factors. I think, Liz, you mentioned them, obviously, Kim, you've kind of given us your story also as well. You guys, you have to be aware at all times, right? And every meeting you're in, right? I mean, at all that, that you are a woman and that this is a man's context, right? And mm-hmm. it, oh, that's amazing to me. Well, and even before, just to add on another thought that I was uh, taking in while Kim was speaking, Liz is, is experiencing her, she's, she's explaining her experience in a complementarian setting uh, and, and the things she's having to push up against. Kim, what I'm hearing from you is this, this last church that you were describing, it sounds as though it was egalitarian. And you were still experiencing because it, it's if if I understood you correctly, they said they would give you the title of pastor for women, and so there there was some level of uh, it was growing in that. into that. It okay, was moving okay. into that. It was moving from one to the other over okay. time. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. That. Yeah, shifting. Yeah, yeah, but still, even though they were saying like it was kind of nominal, like in name only, we'll we'll, we'll give you this title, but uh, there's still in these other only. things, the baggage. Yeah, okay. Sorry, to speak to that, I would say there's this undercurrent or this um, underlying narrative that if we're not aware of it, we will fall back into, especially if we're moving towards Mm. egalitarian. So like what Kim experienced, um, we want to be equal, but our hearts haven't gotten there or our conviction hasn't gotten there to a point. That's what they're saying to you. Well, no, I'm saying for Kim's experience and like my, my church, I would say we're moving towards that. Like we have those four things I was saying that are, are not equal. They've actually shifted in the past like six months since I've written that Mm. paper. So we have advocated for equality where it's not explicit, but it's like, okay, in practice, we are going to be equal in these areas, at least where we can be right now. But where Kim was saying, even though she was called a pastor because they wanted, there's this ideal or there's like, we should be this the underlying uh, narrative or or where our heart posture is, isn't there yet. So Mm. in a way, like your leadership might say something, but implicitly they're doing something else. And that's where Mm. I'm saying, like, we have double standards that are explicit and obvious. And then you have this implicit narrative where it's, no, we honor women, like women are leaders, women are directors, women are this, but there's this implicit narrative. Well, well, you're still second class because you won't have this opportunity. You're not top leadership. You're not going to give the opportunity to preach. So there's these implicit things that are going on underneath that. That's where a heart change has to happen. That's where we have to be aware. And it's a constant pushing against the, the strong narrative that's always been there. So unless we create this new you know, theological imagination for the the truth. If God wants people equal, we have to live into that and be constantly aware and be able to address it openly. I think it's going to, it's going to be a constant, like three steps forward, one step back kind of thing. And I think Kim was uh, at the frontier of that in her church and probably in women in ministry in general, especially in the evangelical world. So she probably took the brunt of it for a lot of people where I, I would say I'm, I'm privileged to be um, behind some strong women who've, you know, been able to pave the way. And so that's the hope is that we continue to pave the way. So it's not an issue for the future generations. Hmm. And I don't think that was a question you were asking, Rob. I don't remember (laughs) your question, but I was just speaking to that. So this is a, this is a, a funny thing. Talk about psychological. How would you like to, oh, let me just like ask you, Liz, how would you as a female like to be thought of as um, 
kitchen a kitchen appliance mm-hmm. uh, when um the kitchen appliance is um out of style or too old or whatever mm-hmm. it's time to do a makeover and bring in new appliances wow. I, that would never be said to a male mm-hmm. no. that literally was said to me and what is ho- oh, so funny goodness. about wow. it so so funny about it when i was uh gosh i was in my early 50s which now seems so young but uh when i was in my early 50s i was becoming i was aging out of being able to be a woman in ministry in a local church the, although the other men that were called pastors were older than me hmm. so it didn't make any sense but i was uh i was hmm. uh, uh an old appliance that needed to be replaced what kind of what kind of yeah. reality is that? That's like crazy. Well, just, just real quick, the first thing that pops in my head is, I, I'm sure whoever said that to you, your superior in whatever context, mm-hmm. if they were to counsel, if they had a couple come in uh, to their office right after your meeting, right, right for your meeting, and the the complaint from the wife was, my husband's looking at porn all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure the pastor would say. Hey, don't do this. This is the objectification of a woman or of, mm-hmm. a, of another person. That this is why we shouldn't view porn. It, you're not viewing someone in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And, and meanwhile, the same person, like I'm sure that that person would say that. Meanwhile, they're mm-hmm. objectifying you <laughs> like an appliance as a staff member, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah. it's like it, the inconsistency that exists just in terms of how we view people it's in hypocrisy. the image of God. Yeah. It, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Have you ever wanted to quit? Who are you talking to? Um, both of you. Oh, um, well, I did quit, <laughs> but um, that was forced, I, I, right? Yeah, I mean, it yeah, wasn't. I would have to say I didn't want to, though. In fact, it was just oh. telling some people this about a week ago that I loved serving women in a local church content. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely loved it, and it was probably the best time of my life. And no, I didn't want to quit, but I felt that I had to quit because I felt that nothing yeah. was going to change around me and to preserve my own sanity yeah, yeah. and to be able to continue on with the Lord, I had to quit. Mm. And, you know, interesting, you know, um, so I'm a female who writes books. Now, if a male writes books, I think it's okay if he makes money. If a female writes Christian books and she makes money, it is discarded as if, well, then maybe she should be our staff and not receive the paycheck any longer. Mm. That would never happen to a male. Right. And so it's like, it feels like the more that I was answering God's call on my life and the more I was throwing myself into it in obedience, mm. the more shame I received and the more in trouble, like a child, the more in trouble I was where I felt like all I was doing was, um, trying to obey God and follow him into what he was calling me to in my life. And the reality is, is that hundreds and more than hundreds of women and husbands and families were impacted by your work. So when you were forced to leave, it, it impacted the kingdom. Well, it's sad when you think about it, everything that we're talking about, like if we're going to be kingdom, yeah. kingdom minded yeah. people, we need to start thinking about the kingdom yes, and not about like all these rules and regulations and, and the culture and everything we need to like, what, you know, what, what is Jesus calling someone to do? Uh, are they following him in that path? Mm-hmm. Are they, I mean, you know, uh, I, I think that we've lost sight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think we've drifted. There's been a spiritual drift. Yeah. Right. Liz, have you ever wanted to quit? <laughs> I would be lying if I said no. Um, I, yes, I have wanted to quit, uh, mm. in my, um, yeah, in my pain. I, mm. I came from a place where I was, you know, well-respected and well-regarded and on the up and up and paid properly. And it's hard to look back at that and say, how did I come here mm. and feel so, uh, limited? Um, why would I stay? I think the reason I have stayed is because I feel like God's called me there. And so that's, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to stay true to what God's called me to, then I must stay. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know any woman at our church who has not wanted to quit. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you question your calling, you're questioning your value. 
And honestly, it's probably easier to be a woman leader almost any other place than the church, which is so ironic. And I don't want to discount anyone's place in women in leadership. It is hard kind of anywhere. And I've experienced that as well. But I would say the hardest point in time is just being a woman in leadership at the church. Mm. And there's some really great churches. um, And I would say our church is still great in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's hard to stay at a a workplace where you feel limited. Mm -hmm. Definitely. No matter what. There's another aspect of this conversation, too, that we need to not neglect. And I think, um, Liz, I think you were talking about it maybe before we started recording even. And that is that the voice of the church in the world is now empty or vacuous because women in the world don't want to listen to the church's voice because they don't respect it. Right. Yeah, I would say there's there's not much to add to that. I would say um, there are many, many women. I would say if we're trying to reach people for Jesus mm-hmm. and the many the com- many of the conversations I have is why would I go to a church that is sexist, that is mm-hmm. um, misogynistic, that doesn't value women? And I have to I sometimes have to question my own thoughts on that. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. very hard when mm-hmm. you know you know God's heart is for equality and justice and liberation and freedom and goodness and righteousness and hope and love and peace. But when the church is communicating a different narrative that feels counter to the same God you know, it is really hard to say, no, the church is amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. When, mm-hmm. when I feel the pushback every day. Right. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. The pushback every day. That's that's amazing. That's crazy. Anything that you want our listeners to know that we haven't stated already? You know what? I would like to say that trauma changes us. Mm. And the reason that I'm saying that is not to place blame on situations, churches, or um, who has caused the trauma. But what I want to say is this, is that though trauma changes us and can make us into people that we never wanted to be, mm-hmm. so we lose a lot of the anointing and the power that God has put within us in our calling, it's very important that we stand up against the trauma and what has been done to us, and that we believe in that verse that says that no evil that is coming against us will prosper over us. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, is Jesus wants to heal the trauma mm-hmm. and he wants us to grow despite the trauma. Mm-hmm. And he wants to completely transform us as a result of whatever we go through in life. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because I've seen a lot of people leave churches, leave ministries, get hurt mm-hmm. and um, not be able to come out from under it. Because mm-hmm. as long as we blame a system, mm-hmm. as long as we blame people we will never be healed from the trauma that we experienced. And the enemy would love to steal and to kill and to destroy the story that God has put within us. But, But that isn't God's plan for us. And so we really need to uh, look at our hurt without blaming people anymore Mm -hmm. and um, give that to God and grow through it, whether it is being dismissed, whether it's being treated unfairly, whether it is being pushed out, um, whatever it is that we are going through or have gone through, it's important that we lay that at the feet of Jesus so that he can transform us through truth because of the pain. You know, uh, Kim, as someone who has spent a number of years in personal therapy myself, uh, what I'm hearing is someone who not only has, it's obvious you've done the work from a psychological standpoint, but also from a spiritual standpoint, because what you just said could be taken as kind of Christianese or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the way I'm hearing that's like, nah, there's, there's real work that's been done there. And and for Mm -hmm. you to say that now probably couldn't have been said however many years ago, if it was, it was probably fake. (laughs) Right. Well, I think at first I I just appointed fingers and blamed because there were people I could blame, Yeah. but I felt there came a point when, if I wanted to move on with Jesus, that I did have to do the work and I did have to let him do the work in me. And it's so funny that you would say the word Christianese because what's hilarious about that is that as Christian people, male or female, 
we can even take the most basic foundational verse that would be life-changing to us if we believed it. Mm. And if we say it too many times, now it becomes Christianese. Isn't Mm. that just like the enemy? Because (laughs) the more we repeat the truth to ourselves, to our own heart, preaching to our own heart, God's word, the more transformed our life becomes. Mm. But yes, when we quit pointing the finger at other people and realize that we have an enemy and other people aren't our enemy. Mm. Yeah, well said. I I would say there's probably three things I'd like to touch on. First is like affirming what Kim was saying that um, a lot of this is a spiritual fight. I think it is mm-hmm. oppression and like dealing with the pushback every day. It, it does wear you down. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where you can want to quit sometimes. It's just like, is it worth it? Does it feel like it? it's changing anything? Um, so I think there is a real spiritual battle um, that we need, we need men to help us. We need mm-hmm. um, others to help us in this fight. And there's, I've, I've always said every, um, every oppressed people groups needs the oppressors to help mm-hmm. help freedom. And so that's, I believe we're called to help others be free, especially mm-hmm. as Christians. But um, I do think we need the brothers in Christ to help us in this fight, to wrestle with it, with us, to sit with us in it, mm-hmm. to be able to listen. Um, I think that's, and just to fight and advocate with us, like fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, these are systems that are in place that do limit people. And we are, we're followers of Jesus that we want to live life abundantly, fully and who God's called mm-hmm. us to be. So I would say that is my first point. My second point is I really struggle with um, the, the view that women should be submissive. I think it's grounded mm-hmm. in a curse. And I believe all all the curses have been broken in Jesus and we've been set free and there's equality in Christ. And um, so I, I don't think we really touched on that, but I would say I want to be living from a place of freedom and not the curse. And I want to be living from the cross. And then thirdly, I want to read a little bit of my final paper I wrote. It's mm-hmm. just a good quote because I didn't write it. I quoted somebody, but I just said the discussion. Was of- it a man or a woman? Just to make sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, saw, I saw, just kidding. <laughs> it was a, I think it's a woman quoting, oh, okay. you know, so it was oh, a woman oh, quoting the man. That's we got both in there. We're good. There you go. So I wrote the discussion of women in church leadership has and has been and continues to be a controversial topic in church politics. Both sides of the argument have theological legs to stand on with certain Mm -hmm. interpretations of scripture. That said, whichever side of the aisle you fall on, there is a moral ethic of how we treat the image of God, in particular women at stake here. The gender debate is not abstract, impersonal, doctrinal controversy. It touches directly to our humanness, our sexual identity, our ministry opportunities, the marriage relationship, family life, and life in the local church. Although one's actions may be supported by scripture, if someone is unable to fulfill their calling, use their God-given gifts to glorify God, free to be all God's called them to be, or treated equally, especially in the church because of that scriptural interpretation, maybe that view is worth reevaluating. And so Mm -hmm. that's where I started um my reevaluation of where our church is at and so i do mm-hmm. pray that people see this more as a hum- human moral ethic and how we treat one another and not just a doctrinal controversy right. mm-hmm. the reality is what we're talking about here is you can be complementarian or egalitarian and still realize that the woman next to you is a human being made in god's image who's mm-hmm. been given gifts by god who has a voice and thoughts and intelligence and validate her story and validate her words yeah, yeah. we can do all those things. So like, you don't have to be on your guard all, every time and every meeting about everything mm-hmm. that you say and mm-hmm. worry about not being heard. You, we can do all those things, even if you still believe that women can't be pastors and ultimately be in authority over a man or you know, whatever that might be. You don't have to um, abdicate your theological convictions to create a, an environment of justice, create an environment of equality within with genders and to be affirming of, of women and their and their voice. I mean, that that's fine. And the reality is, I don't think we're saying on this podcast that we're denying the fact that some people have strong theological convictions. Okay, that's great. But the reality is women have been abused and continue to be abused. And I think that's what we wanted to kind of get across here and have your voices be heard. And I hope that we've been able to do that today. Yeah. So Great conversation. I'm so thankful for both Liz and Kim to come on and be transparent as much as, you know, 
we can be in and because that's isn't that the unfortunate thing is the fact that we mm. still even has to use, use aliases it just goes to show how far the conversation yeah. uh, still has to go but uh yeah. thank you for being transparent in your own way we continue to pray for both your congregations uh and our all our congregations uh because this mm-hmm. isn't like rob said this is not a complementarian versus egalitarian issue uh, while it isn't in a way it's not in that regardless of where you land there there still is damage happening on both sides of mm-hmm. the equation uh and that's what we we need to mitigate if we're truly going to be uh jesus followers living a jesus ethic so mm-hmm. thank you ladies for hanging out and i uh, hope everyone enjoys the show we'll catch everyone later I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast, and we would love for you to share the work of Determined Truth with others. Please follow this podcast and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast. Then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people.